To be in the dark without any source of light can be very, very dangerous, can't it? I think we can all agree on that, especially as we are coming out of the very darkest day of the year. To drive without your car's headlights on, which I may have done as a teenager, is a incredibly dangerous, right? No one can see you, and you could accidentally crash as you can't see what's in front of you. Uh, to walk or, or to bike around your neighborhood without a light on you is also dangerous. Maybe you've almost been hit by a car in the middle of the night as you're like walking around or biking because people just can't see you. To be in the dark without any source of light, again, can be scary. It can be dangerous. And it's interesting that I think a lot of younger children have this innate fear within them already, right? You don't have to teach them to be afraid of the dark. They already are. And this is why we often have nightlights in our children's rooms to help them not be afraid of the dark. So we need light especially when we're in darkness. If we're going to function in any sort of meaningful way in the dark, we need light. That's plain and simple. For the light helps us to make sure that we don't crash, right, or fall off the side of a cliff. Light helps us to to see where we're going in the middle of the night. And the light helps us to feel safe and really secure in pitch black darkness. And again, this is why we provide our children with light, so they can see around us and to make sure that no monsters are going to come out of the dark to get them. And in a similar way, Jesus functions in a much greater way as the light for all of us. He functions as the light source in the dark of this world. And his calling to all people is to live in this light so that we don't really crash and burn to the ground. So as we come to John 8 here this morning, this is the main calling on all of us from Jesus himself, live in the light of Jesus. Live in his light by believing in him and following him. And why do we do this? First, because Jesus is the exclusive way to true life. That's what we see here in our text before us. As Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Now, in order for us to to grasp what Jesus is saying here, I think we need just a a little bit of context for what he's saying. That'll help us. And so when Jesus claims here to be the light of the world, he's doing so during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I'm guessing you don't necessarily know what that is, but this was a time where the Jews would gather at the temple for a week-long feast and celebration to remember how God had delivered his people in the wilderness. Those 40 years of wandering, they're gathering to remember that time. How God had miraculously sustained them with with water and manna from heaven, bread of life, and how he had guided them by a pillar of light during the night, and how he protected them and kept them safe. And if we look back at the previous few chapters here, we'll find that Jesus is using this background, this context, to one, already claim that he is the bread of life. He is manna from heaven for God's people here on earth. And then he's just claimed to be that living water to sustain them, to sustain his people forevermore. And he's, he's drawing on all of these images and saying, that's about me. That's me here. And so as he draws on these well-known images in the wilderness during this feast and celebration, 
he takes the opportunity to do this once more in front of thousands of people in the temple courtyard. And it's here, perhaps at nighttime, with torches lit, that Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so with this this background and this context then, it's no stretch at all that part of what Jesus is claiming is that just as the Israelites were guided through the wilderness by the pillar of life to the promised land, so he is being that same kind of light for those who follow him today. Jesus is guiding his people who follow him back to God himself, back to dwelling with the Father. And he's going to do this and help us so that we don't fall into the pits around us in the darkness. So as Jesus makes this claim, we realize that this is massive, right? This is a massive claim. I'm not just the light to Israel. I'm the light to all nations, to the entirety of the world. So this is the first thing we noticed. But then second, as Jesus claims to be the light of the world, we recognize that he is claiming to be the exclusive light, the light. Not one of many lights in the world, but the only life that brings us out of darkness and the dangers that surround us in this world. And so while there are many people and things and other religions that promise to guide your way in this world and to provide light for you, Jesus is excluding them here with this statement. He's saying, nah, I'm the only light, the light of this world. I'm all that there is, and you must follow me. So he claims exclusivity in this statement. And then finally, even as Jesus claims to be this exclusive light, so they would have also heard Isaiah 49.6 ringing in the background. This text, which is messianic in nature, would have been familiar to the Jewish people. And it tells us clearly that it is not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. But I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so as Jesus makes this public declaration, he's claiming really to be God's chosen Messiah. I am he. I'm the one promised of old to bring light to the nations, light to the world so that all people may see and believe and have life eternal. Follow me exclusively is Jesus' calling here. And so this is the call that extends to all of us here this morning as well. And if you are not already following Jesus in this dark and dying world, he calls to you. He says, follow me. Come out of the darkness. Look to me. Trust me. Conform your way and life to my teaching, and you will find life. Believe in me. So this is Jesus' first call. And then as we receive this light from Christ, and as the darkness is dispersed by following Jesus, we're able to really see the world in a much clearer way as well. For even as C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And so in the same way, as we come to Jesus, the source of light, we do so not only because we see him clearly revealed in his word, 
but because Jesus himself makes sense of everything else around us that we see, of sin, of death, and of life and hope. And so even as we, as we see Jesus here, the light of the world, as the new year is right around the corner, I think part of our new year's resolution should be to make living in the light of Christ all the more real and vibrant in our own life. And I want to encourage all of us to do this for a moment here this morning with just one practical suggestion, uh, with several practical ways to carry that out. Number one, I just want to commend us again to the very, very, very basic spiritual discipline of committing ourselves to read God's word. As Aaron already mentioned in the announcements, we're beginning a new Bible reading plan as a church. Five minutes a day, five days a week, with the weekends off, so that we can be in the light, that we can build up this very important spiritual discipline like a snowball so that it accumulates and we gain more and more the light of Christ by being in his word and so growing in the light of Jesus. But as we seek to be in his light, in his word, his truth, I also want to encourage you to consider joining the Bible studies that we have in our church. We have both a men's Bible study and a woman's Bible study beginning very soon in mid-January. And so consider joining that. Take advantage of these light-giving opportunities. And then, of course, as we seek to grow in the light of Christ, to bask in it, I want to encourage you just to make your conversations more and more about the light of Jesus, about his word with one another. Talk with each other about what you're reading. Assume that the other person had been reading their Bible the past week. Ask what you've been learning. Share what's excited you about God's word. And share the light of Christ with each other in these very helpful, meaningful ways. My hope is, my hope is that talking about the Bible with one another would become just as common as talking about the cold weather that we have here in Minnesota, okay? That's my vision, my hope for this church. And so as we return to this text then, to, to this call from Jesus to follow him in the light, believe in him, we realize that Jesus again has made an astounding claim. And unfortunately, this is not well received as we come back to verse 13. There's objections to this. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the Pharisees say, I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and they're very antagonistic towards Jesus by this point. They object to what he says. And they're saying, you're testifying about yourself, and therefore your testimony is not valid. And what they're trying to do here is just two things. One, they're trying to discredit what Jesus is claiming here by taking words that he spoke earlier out of context. And two, they're trying to demand more evidence for Jesus being the light of the world. Like, this is a massive claim, uh, so we're going to see more evidence. All right? We need to see a lot more. In other words, talk is cheap. So prove it. Prove that you're the light of the world. So in response to these accusations, I'm going to try to summarize what's going on here because it can get a little bit confusing. Jesus basically says, look, look, my message is self-authenticating, okay? It's self-evident. It's true because I know where I come from. I come from God, and I'm going back to God. You, on the other hand, have no idea who I am or where I come from at all. You're in darkness, and more than this, you judge me by superficial metrics based on what you can see. And I don't judge in that way at all. Like my father, if and when I do judge, I judge based 
on the spiritual condition of the person's heart, unlike you. And so this is what I think is being communicated here in verses 14 through 16. And he finally ends by saying, for the sake of argument, okay, let's say I subject myself to your little game, I still meet your requirement. For my father testifies about me, and so do I. So there, your requirement is met. And so what we have taking place here is that Jesus, the light of the world, is shining this light brightly to all the people. It's self-evidence. And what Jesus is revealing is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, their hearts are covered in darkness. Here is Jesus, the light, right in front of their eyes, and they can't see it. And it reveals to us that those who desire to remain in darkness, it will never be enough. There will never be enough evidence for those who desire to remain in the darkness. And that's what John is showing us here. Because even as they claim to need another witness about Jesus, John the Baptist has already testified about Jesus long ago, right? Chapter 1, verse 7. John testifies of Jesus being the light. And on top of this, Jesus has performed countless miracles and signs to verify that he is truly the Messiah and truly the light of the world. He's healed the sick. He's fed thousands of people with nothing more than a loaf of bread, even as we read this morning. And he's done this to such an extent that the people all around him recognize it and see it. And they say, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? But the Pharisees don't get it. They instead try to kill him. They want to remain in darkness instead. And so while there is plenty of evidence, miracles even, it's never enough for those who are committed to unbelief and the darkness of this world. So an application for us, we need to recognize that although we could offer the most succinct, compelling arguments for Jesus, we could offer just tons of evidence, miracles even as Jesus did, at the end of the day, If a person desires to remain in darkness, there's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing we can do for them. Because what each and every one of us ultimately need is not physical evidence, but a spiritual rebirth. We need the blindness of our hearts to come undone so that we can see the light of Jesus as we should in all of his glory, in all of his beauty. We need, as Paul makes us aware in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, to have our minds and our eyes unblinded from the God of this world and to have God himself speak light and life into our darkened hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to regenerate our hearts. Otherwise, we, like the Pharisees, can have tons of facts, right? We can have tons of knowledge about the scriptures. We can be smarter, better studied in the Bible than all the commoners around us, and yet still miss Jesus entirely. And so with this reality, then we must pray, all of us, we must pray for the Spirit to shine the light of Christ, not only in our own darkened hearts, but the hearts of those around us, 
that we are trying to reach. In love, we must be persistently praying for those who are stuck in the darkness. Because even as we take Paul seriously here in this text, unless the Spirit works, unless God speaks life into our hearts, our efforts are in vain. Resurrection Church will not reach the people in this community unless the Spirit works. And so I encourage all of us then to take this truth really to heart. Not just in our heads, but but what we do as we pray and rely on the Spirit in this way. So again, even as New Year's resolutions are, you know, right around the corner tomorrow, I encourage you just to be praying for at least one person, one person you are trying to reach with the gospel if you aren't doing so already. Be committed to praying. And then share that, the, share that person with your home group and with others around you so we can join you in that effort. Pray for the Spirit to work in the hearts and lives of those we are trying to reach. And in this way, we will advance as a church, as God opens the eyes of the, of the blind so that they might see the light of Jesus. So we've seen then that Jesus is the only path to true life and that we need the Spirit to bring light into darkened hearts if we're going to have any hope. But then the light of Jesus also illuminates the dangers of sin, and that's what we see next. It's here that Jesus continues to interact with a somewhat hostile crowd. And after claiming to be the light and really experiencing rejection from the leaders of Israel and and kind of mockery, Jesus says, look, I'm not going to be here with you forever. I'm not going to be here forever. I won't be here to shine the light forever. I'm leaving. I'm going back to my Father in heaven, and you will die in your sins unless you believe in me. So I'm leaving back to my Father. You won't be able to follow because of your sins, and that's essentially what Jesus is communicating here. And even as we covered last week, Sin is serious because it separates us from the living God, our source of life. And Jesus is pointing out the fact once again that all of humanity is in sin regardless of whether or not they realize it. We are all naturally born into darkness and we desperately need the light of Christ to lead us out of it. We need Jesus to save us from it. And so in love, this is what Jesus proclaims to them. Look to the light. See the light. Be freed from your sin and the darkness that you've been living in. And the Jews, of course, don't respond too well to this at all. Instead of responding with belief in Jesus, we're told that they respond with self-righteous antagonism. You're going to go where where we can't follow you? What are you going to do? You're going to kill yourself or something? Because if that's the case, of course we're not going to follow you into doing something dumb like that. And so they're, they're missing the point altogether. They're in darkness. But Jesus ignores the criticism. And again, as the light of the world draws our attention to the dangers of sin that they are living in, you are from below, he tells them. You are from below in the sense of dwelling in darkness and sin. You are of this world. And I am from above where my heavenly father dwells. And what you desperately need is the light that I am offering you. 
a light to bring you out of darkness of sin and back into the loving arms of the Father above. So believe in me, or you will certainly die in your sins. And I don't want that. What we find here is that Jesus, as the light of the world, reveals the dangers of sin plainly, doesn't he? Though it's going to upset many of the people he's talking to, he speaks plainly about their spiritual condition anyway, because it's what they needed to hear, and it's also what we need to hear as well. So while many would find what Jesus is saying here is incredibly judgmental, harsh, unloving, unkind, we need to recognize that far from being unloving, what Jesus is saying and doing here is the most loving and caring thing he could do for these people and for us. He's revealing to the Jews and to us that there's a very real problem of sin and darkness that needs to be fixed in our own hearts or else we, like them, will be separated from God forever. And in love and humility, he presents this to them and he gives us the example to follow. So we too need to then share the dangers of sin, even if it's not popular. For if we don't, how will we understand our need for Jesus? How will we understand our need for Jesus, who is the only solution to the problem of our sin? So just as a doctor can't insist on a person taking medicine without first explaining why they need it, so we can't insist on people receiving Jesus until they understand why they need him. Otherwise, we're in danger of receiving Jesus in the wrong way, or we'll fail to trust him as we should. And this is, this is dangerous. So as we seek to follow Jesus in this way, we must do so with, with humility. Hear me here. Humility and love. Not by unnecessarily hammering people over the head with what a bad sinner they are in a self-righteous manner that comes across as better than thou. But instead, we communicate, we are sinners just like you, and we love you, and we care about you. And just as I desperately need Jesus to save me from my darkness and sins, so you do too. I'm no better than you. And so with love and humility, we present Christ along with the seriousness of sin, for he alone offers the forgiveness our hearts desperately need. So we learn then from the example of Jesus here, right, that we must present the dangers of sin even as he does. But then we also make sure to take pains upon ourselves to continue to be freed from the sin in our own hearts right? So it's not as if we accept Jesus and boom, our sin magically disappears. No, we keep continuing on in freedom from sin. And so at the end of this chapter, there are many who claim to believe in Jesus. But he says to them this warning in verses 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, that is, if you continue in the light, you are really my disciples, you will know the truth and the light, and the truth will set you free from darkness and sin. And so for those of us who are believing in Jesus this morning, who claim to know the light, 
The challenge from Jesus to us who claim this is to continue to walk in the light and to be freed from sin and darkness that still remains. To, to grow the light of Jesus in our own hearts and to disperse the darkness of sin. I remember working um, on my unfinished basement a couple years ago with, with Steve here. And as we were working on that basement, we had a, like hardly any light there, okay? We had a really dim little light bulb that we had turned on, but you couldn't like really see anything or what you were doing. Um, so we plugged in a couple of lights to help us see more in that basement. And with each light that we plugged in, um, it became more and more and more apparent of what needed to be fixed up in that basement. Walls needed to come down, other walls needed to be put up, electrical, wiring, all sorts of things. And with each light, we saw what needed to be done and what needed to be removed. And I think the same is true for all of us as we grow closer to Jesus in the faith. As we grow closer to Jesus in our relationship to him and who he is, there is more and more light poured into our own hearts. And as that light enters our hearts, sometimes it's discouraging, but there's a lot of work for each and every one of us to do. Much sin to be removed. Much sin to be repented of. But as he shines this light, he does it for our own good. He shines this light on our sin that we might turn from it and be more like Jesus. So as we continue then to take Christ's words to heart here, to continue in the truth and to be set free from sin and death, we can be encouraged even in those moments where we are discouraged because that means Christ is working to bring attention to where we still have sin and struggle. And for some of us here this morning who are perhaps struggling with maybe a known sin in your own life and you just can't seem to make progress in it, I want to encourage all of us to make it a habit of, of confessing appropriately our sins to one another, of helping each other live in the glorious light of Christ. For we are not meant to combat the darkness of our hearts alone, but we are meant to do this together as the family of God, as the children of light. And so the light then, the light of Jesus, reveals to us the dangers of sin so that we might turn from it and be set free. And finally, even as we close here this morning, the light of Jesus reveals God. As we come to the end of this section, the people respond with indignation as they ask, who are you? And this is more of like, who does this guy think he is to tell us that we're in sin and that we need him and that we're going to die in our sins unless we believe in him? Who is this guy think he is? And when they ask this question to Jesus, he responds simply by saying, I am who I've said I am in the beginning. I'm the one who reveals the Father to you. Even as he says in verse 19, if you knew me, you would know the Father. I reveal the Father to you. I reveal God to you. I'm the one who does the Father's will here on earth. And throughout John, the letter of John, you'll see this over and over and over again. Jesus reveals God as God. I'm the light of the world, as he just said moments ago. And finally, I am he. I am he. He says this twice here in our text. I am he. I am God himself is what I think he means by this. I am he, 
as in I am God, and he's drawing this, I think, from Isaiah. In Isaiah, this is where we see God referring to himself as I am he. First, in Isaiah 43:10, You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. And again, a few chapters later, listen to me, Jacob and Israel, the one called by me, I am he. I am the first and I am also the last. And so while it's semi-convoluted for a moment that Jesus is claiming deity here, by the end of the chapter, he's going to explicitly say before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus, as the light of the world, is revealing God himself incarnate. That's what he's doing here. As the light, he's revealing the unknown father to us through himself. And they will come then to know that this Jesus is God. As they raise him up in the darkest moment on the cross to die for them. And in the darkest moment of Jesus' life, his light will shine the most brightly and clearly for all the world to see. For it will be through his death on the cross for our sins that we see the incarnate God slain for us. And as he is raised up, this beacon of hope shines out clearly through the darkness to proclaim that Christ, God himself, has died for us to save us from our sins. So the question for us here this morning as Jesus reveals these things to us, will we follow the light of the world? Will we become children of light through placing our faith and trust in him alone? Will we turn from the dangers of sin and trust Jesus? And by God's grace, our church will do exactly this. We will, like Jesus, be a beacon on a hill shining out the brilliant light of Christ to the city of Burnsville and beyond. So let's pray that Christ would use us toward this end. Father, we come before you and we are incredibly grateful for Jesus. Jesus, you have done so much for us. And so we ask that you would help us as children of the light to bask ourselves in the light each and every day. Help us to take in more and more of your word and grow to love you each and every day in a deeper way. Use us, Lord, to shine out the glories of Jesus all around us as we saturate ourselves in your truth. And may we, as children of the light, continue to expel the darkness that is within our own hearts. Do this in and through us for the glory of Christ in your name, we pray. Amen.